Welcome to Breaking Paradigms, a podcast where we talk about global perspectives on spatial planning in practice and theory, by Constance Frech and Sarah Kushi. We talk about property, property rights, and land tenure. We ask ourselves, what are the advantages and disadvantages of property? Where are the differences if a property is owned by the state or privately? And does political ideology influence property rights? Let's start with some definitions. Property is everything owned by someone. It's either a movable, touchable thing, an incorporeal possession like intellectual property, or land and buildings. We will focus on the last type, land and buildings. If a piece of land belongs to someone, she or he has some related rights to determine what happens with it, so-called property rights. Many economists, for example, Armand Elchian and Harold Demsetz, researched the topic of property rights, their influence on the market, society, etc. Elchian defines, A property right is the exclusive authority to determine how a resource is used, whether that resource is owned by government or by individuals. A private property right includes the right to delegate rent or sell any portion of the right by exchange or gift at whatever price the owner determines, provided someone is willing to pay that price. Summarizing, property right mainly consists of three parts. Use right, right to use the land for all legal purposes, including growing and harvesting. Control rights. Right to make decisions how land should be used and to thrive on it. Transfer rights. Right to sell or mortgage the land. The system within property rights are given is land tenure. Land tenure is the framework that determines who can use what resources for how long and under what conditions. How land tenure is organized is strongly influenced by society, political system and the economy. Therefore, it can differ a lot between countries. Property rights of a plot are normally reserved to a certain person or group, while the system of land tenure organizes the interests of various parties within society. Those interests can be overriding, overlapping, complementary and or competing. For example, the state is in most countries in a position to have the power to override the right to property of individuals in the interest of the public. In the case of the owner and the tenant, they have different rights to the same property, so they are overlapping. In communities, associations or other groups, many individuals share the same rights to their common property so their interests are complementary. If two parties have different ideas about the use of a plot, their interests are competing. Land tenure is often classified into four categories. Private, 
communal, open access and state-owned. If something is privately owned, usually private property rights, as explained before, come into effect. State-owned property has similar conditions, but the owner is some public authority. That can lead to public accessibility, but not necessarily. On community-owned land, every member has the same rights to independently use the community-hold plot. In areas with open access, no one holds specific rights or can be excluded. This typically is the case for the oceans, where access to the high seas is generally open to anyone. As we already mentioned, political decisions and society influence land tenure and land tenure influences society and politics. So there are different systems of land tenure in different countries. But how do political systems influence the idea of property? We picked five countries on various continents with various political systems, monarchies or various types of republics and tried to see the differences. The People's Republic of China is a state where power is constitutionally linked to a single political movement, in that case the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Therefore, the state regulations are strict and collective thinking is very strong. Private land ownership does not exist. Concerning land tenure, there is a difference between urban and rural areas. In cities, the land is absolutely state-owned. However, land use rights can be assigned, sold and resold, leased or mortgaged. The big difference to actual property rights of an owner is the fact that the state easily can take the land back for commonality's sake. In rural areas, agricultural collectives own land. Those collectives have a contract with the state for cultivating the land and the duty to contribute to the food supply of the country. We continue with Egypt. Egypt is a republic and land tenure takes three forms, ownership, rent and mixed hold. Firstly, ownership. In that case, the person who holds the plot also owns it. Secondly, rent. In that case, someone is the owner and someone else holds it for rent. The special case in Egypt is the following. Rent payments can happen in the form of money or for in-kind payments, crops or other products. Thirdly, mixed hold. In that, two people share a split plot. One is the owner of one part of the land holding and the tenant of the other part. Both of them have ownership as well as the utilization right for one part of it, but only the utilization right for their own part. In Egypt, also Islamic land tenure conceptions still persist. The distinction between the land itself and its usufruct, the principle that ownership of land lies with God, but is held in trust by the state for the community of Muslims still underpins the categories of land which are utilized today. The next country we talk about is South Africa. In South Africa, land tenure is a difficult and highly politicized topic with a long history of colonialism and discrimination. South Africa's land tenure system includes firstly large-scale white commercial farming which is a legacy of former colonial apartheid system, secondly state land, 
thirdly, customary communities and areas with strong traditional authorities that practice subsidence-type agriculture. The FAO states that even where land ownership is formally nationalized or privatized, customary land tenure is still widespread. Customary tenure includes very different institutional arrangements ranging from common property, usually for grazing land and forests, to household farming on plots allocated by the group authority, mainly for arable land. We continue with Trinidad and Tobago, which is a republic. In Trinidad and Tobago, there are mainly two forms of land tenure, privately owned and public land, including state enterprises. The largest category of land tenure is rented or leased parcels for agricultural purposes with annual contracts. The FAO explains the situation of informal land tenure the following. Squatting, or the unauthorized occupation and use of land, is a widespread phenomenon in the country. The popular legitimacy of squatting is based on cultural and historical elements. Many who are now squatting on public lands are people who two or three decades ago were renting the land from private estate owners before these people sold out to the current owners. Grandparents may have been laborers on those estates. As ownership has shifted to the state, the status of those already on the land has tended either not to be recognized or incorporated into the new tenure order. Another form of land tenure is communal land, in Trinidad and Tobago, are mostly known as family land. The term family land refers to a system that a certain plot is unsaleable to external people but within the group. This kind of right has also a strong historical background. And finally, we have Great Britain as an example of a monarchy. Within Great Britain, every country has its own land tenure system. In England and Wales, all land is ultimately owned by the Crown. All others hold a state. In Scotland, land is directly owned by whoever holds it, except the shoreline and tidal areas, which also in Scotland are owned by the Crown. In England, those estates basically exist in two forms, freehold and leasehold. In the case of freehold, one basically holds the already explained property rights, even though the property is ultimately owned by the crown. A leasehold is a form of rent. There are also plots registered as so-called common land, but the name is misleading. Common land belongs to one person, while another person has the right to use it for activities like grazing animals. If you're interested in more details about different countries, visit the Gender and Land Right database of the FAO. They have collected the current situation of land tenure in various countries. We will put the link in the description of this episode. Summarizing, one can see that historical developments and costumes influenced land tenure even more than the prevailing political system. Of course, both are related, since political systems are also historically grown. Cultivating land and subsisting from it is the oldest way of survival since humankind settled down. 
Therefore, land always had been a precious good and a key to survival. In hardly any other matter is the origin of a person reflected as much as in land ownership, since passing on within the family, especially to younger generations, is a common process almost everywhere and at all times. As mentioned before, property rights are also a matter of power, security and sovereignty. So the fight for land is often a big one and especially an unequal battle, no matter which land tenure system is given. But what are the advantages and disadvantages of private or public property? How does land tenure actually influence individuals? If someone is the owner of a plot, she or he has property rights, as mentioned before, including using it within the legal framework. Economic opportunities like renting it out, selling it, etc. Of course, besides the legal framework for its use, one also has obligations to fulfill, usually in the form of paying taxes and duties. Owning land is also some sort of guarantee of livelihood. If one has an official document of owning a flat, no one is normally able to ask this person to leave the place. Often cultivated land and a house is the base of the livelihood of people to feed themselves and earn money. Therefore, land titles give the security of keeping that resource of livelihood. As mentioned in our episode Formalization Processes in Settlements, these rights are not given in informal settlements, which is a big risk. In the course of formalization processes, land titles in various forms are given. But besides the advantage of security, people who are not used to this kind of legal framework, it's not always easy to deal with the new given laws, regulations and rules. If you're interested in informality and formalization processes, listen to our trilogy about informality, formality and informality, formalization processes and settlements, and realities of informality in different continents. Public property is usually administered by any public authority and often used for public interest. It's the nature of spatial planning and spatial use that there are often very contrary interests about one plot. So it should be decided for the broadest majority. That this is often difficult, many groups don't have a seat at the table and participation processes are often not given is a whole other story. But let's assume the optimum. Public property is often used for public interest, supports marginalized groups and provides services to inhabitants. Public housing, for example, ensures affordable rents. A public park provides recreation in city, etc. China provides very descriptive examples of both extremes of public property rights. Maximum power of decision and nearly no power at all. As already mentioned, in China, land is generally state-owned, with the right of use by the holders. But in the interest of the large majority, these rights can be taken away easily. Let's tell a little story. At the beginning of the 2000s, China realized that a big issue of air pollution are domestic flights. For the sake of reducing it, China decided to massively develop high-speed train connections all over the country. Of course, trains can be faster if they just go straight. 
so all little villages in the way were just removed for the sake of high-speed trains. A similar example is the removal of the villages along Changjiang, better known as Yangtze River, for the Three Gorges Dam. Those decisions are a big moral dilemma. Remove thousands for the sake of millions or environmental improvement? The other side of the spectrum one can find in China's cities. The increasing demand for a little more luxurious living of the growing higher middle class in Chinese cities leads to a trend of gated communities. Even though the gates wouldn't be needed for security reasons, many people see gated communities as the preferred way of living. So many investors buy big plots, build houses and fence them. The result is semi-public space, or actually private space, only dedicated to a very selected group of people. So the state, or in that case the city, loses influence on the public space and accessibility gets lost. Streets get transitory spaces and big detours become necessary, because people who don't live there are usually not allowed to cross. To conclude this episode, Land tenure and property rights is a very complex topic with a lot of historical influence. For the interactive part, we want to introduce you to the website of the Land Portal Foundation who collect data on land rights and governance issues of countries of the world and provide it online at landportal.org. Have a look and maybe you even want to contribute. As always, you find the link on the website underneath the episode. Finally, we want to thank the Hatiuvin for supporting Curriculum Extended. If you want to support us, snag yourself a t-shirt or a mug at our online store breakingparadigms.org shop. This was Breaking Paradigms by Constanze Frech and Sarah Couchier. Be part of the conversation. If you like what we do, consider supporting us and join our Patreon community. Connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and at breakingparadigms.org. Content and editing by Constance Fech and Sarah Couchet. Sound design by Didac Barroso and Florian Frey.